0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials.
1: Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard!
0: Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome
1: to Industry Focus. It's Tuesday, June 30th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. This week, I'm welcoming back Dan Klein as we dissect the most recent American Consumer Satisfaction Index Restaurant Report. That was a mouthful. Dan, how are you?
0: I am good. How are you? I I just... uh... Wow, we are talking a lot of food today. We just finished up an hour talking with uh, the digital content director for FSR and QSR magazine, and now we are moving into one of my favorite subjects to write about to talk about uh, something we've done before, and pretty pretty excited to do it.
1: Yes, this is a really interesting report. You sent this my way last week. It's a report that was sent out by the ACSI, uh, which. Obviously, tracks consumer sentiment in this case for the restaurant industry. And we've seen some major changes. I don't want to, you know, get ahead of the story here, but the National Restaurant Association actually has said that the restaurant industry in the US lost over $120 billion just from March to May 2020, as a result of the pandemic, and that's a statistic that they project could double by the end of the year. And Obviously, a lot of this can be chalked up to COVID, but if you look at the American Consumer Satisfaction Index, the ACSI, I'll just say ACSI from now out, um, if you look at that report, what they're actually showing is that maybe some of this poor performance is actually due to another culprit, which is declining consumer satisfaction. you know, this report's released every year. It looks at a lot of valuable data from consumer sentiment for restaurants. So I'm really interested to get your thoughts, Dan. I know that you've been looking at this report pretty consistently over the past few years.
0: So the timetable on this report. Uh, is is long. <laughs> so, some of this is impacted by the current situation, some of it is not. So, it's really hard to know, uh, without giving away some of the results, restaurants are not doing as well as they typically do. Some of that might just be to the struggle of new models. Uh, for example, forgetting the pandemic, McDonald's moved to experience of the future. That is kiosk-based ordering, uh, curbside pickup in addition to drive-through, uh, delivery, Well, those don't always go seamlessly. The first time you do that, maybe you don't know how to pay, maybe you're frustrated at the kiosk, that can impact customer satisfaction. I think it's very likely we're in a little bit of an interim period for restaurants, where we're changing a lot of how we operate, and that's going to make people uncomfortable. How many restaurants have you gone to where you can pay at the table? That's been an increasing thing for me before the pandemic. And sometimes you put your credit card in and you'll have something that's frustrating, like the default tip will be 25%. Uh, that, that is done at one of the coffee shops near me, where you pay via Square, and, and your choices are no tip, 25%, 30%, and 35%. Those are all more than I would like to tip, uh, in most cases, for, for counter service, that they didn't bring it to me, at a coffee shop. Uh, so, I think you're seeing some pain points like that, and that's dragging the industry down. It is also worth noting that while overall numbers are down, these companies are still pretty well-rated based on the entire family of companies that ACSI covers.
1: Yeah. So, maybe broadly speaking, for the people listening who don't, obviously, have this report in front of them, what does this report cover for these quick-service and full-service restaurants?
0: So, it's a it's a broad range of questions that all speak to a 100-point score. Um, and really, if you're in the high 70s, low 80s, where restaurants have traditionally been, those are pretty good numbers. And it's basically looking at a lot of different factors specific to the industry, convenience, uh, you know, did you feel it was a good value? For example, there's one chain that I really like that's fallen behind a competitor, and I don't think any person in the, well, not anyone, but I don't think most people would say that Dunkin' is a better service brand than Starbucks but value is part of that. Uh, so, the two companies have always been really close, but Duncan has pulled slightly ahead. So, it isn't just, did I have a good experience? Value does play into it on the on the quick-serve side, more so than on the uh, on the full-service side. So, there are two distinct services. One looks at QSR, that's your fast food, your fast casual restaurants. The other one looks at full-service restaurants. And that's a pretty broad slate. It basically means places you sit down that that have a waiter or waitress serve you. I'm not sure uh, which they factor in some of the restaurants that are in-between, like the barbecue place I go to uh, with former Fool Matt Cochran, where you order, but then they you put a number on your table and they bring you your food. Uh, There are a lot of restaurants accounted for in the other restaurants category, because generally, the ACSI is uh, rating the big national chains.
1: And as you alluded to, this was not a particularly favorable report for either quick service or full service restaurants. When was the last time you saw a report this bad, if you will?
0: So, in general, when you see a report this bad, it's when they put out their their cable industry report or their their, <laughs> their ISP report, and every year you're like, wow. And sometimes when they do their retail report, uh, you will see the companies at the bottom, which are usually Walmart, uh, and people will be uh, surprisingly more upset than you would think they would be, given the improvements Walmart has made. In this case, it was a 4% drop across the board. That doesn't sound like a lot, but this has generally been a category that's been flat or moving up. So, again, I don't actually think it's a fair indication of where the industry is because some of this survey took place during the pandemic period. And if you normally ordered from, you know, uh, pick a restaurant, Texas Roadhouse. You normally ate in Texas Roadhouse and had a certain experience. Well, maybe when you get at home, there's no easy way to heat up your baked potato. Maybe your steak is a little overcooked because it cooked in the packaging on the way there. Maybe it's a little dry because you didn't eat it right away. Nobody has figured out how to make fries anything but soggy, so you have to put them in the toaster oven to firm them back up. Those aren't great experiences. Maybe they left out your bacon bits for your baked potato or whatever it is, and it gives you a bad taste. I do think, there is some of that adaptability. And some of that goes pre-COVID. As more restaurants have been turning to delivery platforms, um, Grubhub and other platforms, Uber Eats can cause problems. I've often told the story about, uh, I ordered from a local chain here, Duffy's, that's pretty well liked. And Uber Eats brought me my main dishes, but none of my side dishes. And there was simply no method to rectify it other than me driving to that restaurant and picking it up. And unfortunately, Grubhub had routed my order to the Duffy's that was nowhere near where I was, not the nearby one. That's going to make me feel bad about the restaurant, probably unfairly. It wasn't actually their fault that the guy didn't grab both bags, and they were pretty accommodating. They offered me a very significant gift card, uh, which I didn't take because it wasn't really their fault, whereas Grubhub... Uh, or it was actually Uber Eats in this case, refunded me a very small percentage of my order for a meal that I now had to cook side dishes for, not a great experience. Things like that, that transition, and we'll eventually get that right. I mentioned Walmart before. When Walmart first started free two-day delivery for orders over $35, it was a disaster. They'd show up in seven boxes and you'd get an email saying that part of your order was in the store. Eventually, they figured that out, and I expect the restaurant industry will do that, maybe has done that as well.
1: So, before we dive into some of the specific companies that are in this report that we'll definitely talk deeper about, I, I want to just look at the report as a whole. The numbers, as we mentioned, for both full service and limited services were, for the most part, all down. And at a high level, what do you think is giving rise to the declining satisfaction rates? You mentioned delivery, but is it, is it just bad delivery?
0: No. It's, um, you know, little sneaky things that restaurants do. Um, I'll give give an example of one, Chili's. Chili's used to sell a full rack of ribs and a half rack of ribs. Chili's now sells a full portion of ribs and a half portion of ribs. It's about two-thirds of what it used to be. So, if you get a full rack, you're getting two-thirds of a rack. If you're getting a half portion, you're getting a third of a rack. That is a dramatically different change, and it's sneaky. You see that at all levels of restaurants, maybe you go into the upscale restaurant and the shrimp cocktail isn't quite as big as it used to be, the drink isn't as generous a pour, maybe the prices have gone up markedly higher. There's so much competition out there, obviously some of that is pulled back in wake of the pandemic, that I do think that these things are being noticed more, and maybe we're getting frustrated a little bit more based on some of those things. You're also seeing, if a company has to deal with uh, a mix of delivery methods, maybe it's taking you longer to get served in a restaurant. I'll also point out that some of this does cover a period where restaurants have been open with limited capacity. And it's not as pleasant an experience. To go into a restaurant, I ate at a Miller's Alehouse, and they did a great job. Tables were distance, but my waitress only came over when I flipped up the flag. I couldn't order because they hadn't printed any more menus, because the menus were all single-use. Some of the items you'd want weren't available. Not, uh, everything I wanted was available, but it was a limited menu. Those things might be frustrating. If you go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or order from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse uh, during a pandemic and they don't have shrimp cocktail, which they didn't, which is a steakhouse, they don't have lobster bisque, those are two steakhouse staples that are normally on their menu that might be a more frustrating experience where you have to make a substitution and you're still paying those high prices. So, I do think there is a fair amount of pandemic drag, even though some of the people surveyed were not during uh, a full-on pandemic period. So, it's really difficult to know exactly how much it is.
1: And one of the things that I hear debated a lot is the increasing integration of technology into both quick and full-service restaurant experiences. Some people love it, some people hate it. so do you think that that helps or hinders the customer experience broadly?
0: So it depends who you are, and it depends if it works. I know that if I go to uh, Smoky Bones, they have uh, kiosks on the table where, in theory, you can pay, you could order more drinks, uh, you could say, hey, why don't you tack on a dessert? That, to me, as someone who's tech savvy, is a pretty cool way of going about it. If my mother had to do that, she'd be frustrated, uh, you know, if a waiter didn't come over, if you didn't press the button that turns the light green and tells the waiter to come over, that would not be a positive experience. So, restaurants really have to think about it. Uh, You know, a lot of chains, Starbucks is encouraging you to digitally order via the app. There are plenty of people that are saying, I don't want to do that, I just want to come up to the counter and place an order. You really have to balance the needs of your customers. You know, One of the things we're seeing is Starbucks has launched just a few, uh, but stores that are purely digital. They're grab-and-go stores. They have no seating. They're in New York City and Chicago and places like that, where the idea is that you're going to place your order, you're going to walk through the store, it's going to be there, you're going to leave. That's great if you know how to do that. That's frustrating if you walk in and they say, well, we can't take your order, you have to download the app, you have to register, you have to put a credit card in, or you can walk to the Starbucks that's 200 feet down the road um, and have the traditional experience. Customers aren't going to like some of this, and it really depends how you handle integration.
1: So, you know, let's talk about some of these restaurants. And I want to start with the full-service restaurants first, because I have to be honest, when I read this report, I was a little surprised. So the satisfaction rates with full-service restaurants, so that's that's the sit-down restaurants for the most part. As a whole, it declined 2.5% to a 79 out of 100. And that actually doesn't sound all that bad, at least to me as somebody who is a novice looking at this report. But the ACSI notes that this is only the second time in their tracking history that full service restaurant rankings have fallen below 80 and in my opinion even more notably the only tr- chain that was tracked that improved was strangely enough red lobster so what is red lobster doing right that the rest of us are missing
0: uh two words emily endless shrimp uh, they scored really well on the value prospect. So at a time where you know the economy was booming before this, but people still like value, and endless shrimp feels like a really good value. It's it's probably the only reason, other than my son occasionally uh, who likes the biscuits, will demand red lobster. Uh, so if we're away for a while, I usually have to give in. But Endless Shrimp for $19.99 feels like a value to me. And the reality is, I don't eat that much more shrimp than I would get on a normal Red Lobster plate. Uh, They make reordering feel a tad uncomfortable. You're not going to sit there all night, and I'm sure some people will, and eat 40 plates of shrimp. You're probably just getting one or two things extra after you have your initial order. But that feels like, one, it's kind of an entertaining experience. You get to try different things. But it also feels like, wow, for $20, I can have all I can eat and in a, eat in a sit-down restaurant where I don't have to go get it myself. I think... That's really the only thing that has changed. Red Lobster has also worked pretty hard to, to diversify its menu, to have a better lunchtime offering. They used to offer pretty much the same menu uh, during the day and at night, and that didn't make that much sense from a value point of view. So, they're really trying hard. Uh, the food's still the same, still mediocre seafood with good biscuits and, I, you know, if you're not eating seafood, probably don't go to Red Lobster. It wasn't a giant improvement but the improvement is due to how they were rated in terms of pricing and value, and that really did uh, trace back to Endless Shrimp.
1: Yeah, I I half expect you to say Endless Cheddar Bay Biscuits because those biscuits are so popular, but you know what? With the amount of biscuits that I know I can put away, they might actually lose money on that initiative.
0: So, they do offer endless biscuits, they just don't promote it. Uh, So, if you ask for more biscuits, they'll bring you more. On a takeout basis, that's not true, you can't say, I'll have 100 biscuits, you can order and pay for more biscuits. Um, Look, my wife has been making those biscuits from their packaged mix. Uh, pretty much once a week, my son has been going through a dozen of those biscuits. I got an excited photo from my wife a few weeks ago of the gluten-free version (laughs) of that biscuit mix, which which she still hasn't made for me, so I haven't tried them yet. But yeah, I think especially now at a time where maybe we're not going to go out to that very expensive restaurant, that Red Lobster maybe has more of a place than it did uh, pre-pandemic, where it's a relatively affordable place that has choices for the whole family, that does feel a little bit indulgent. Because even though it's a cheap take on seafood, you're still eating crab legs and shrimp and things that feel a little bit uh, celebratory.
1: And Another thing that stood out to me in that report is that Texas Roadhouse, which has often been a leader in customer satisfaction, actually lost its top rank to Darden's Longhorn Steakhouse. Um, I, I really shouldn't be too surprised at that, given the fact that you know typically higher rankings would indicate maybe higher sales, and Darden's Longhorn Steakhouse grew same-store sales nearly 7% pre-COVID, which is really impressive for a restaurant chain. Um, now I know you, we've had your skiffs with Texas Roadhouse in the past, but
0: I'll point out that I like the food <laughs> at Texas Roadhouse and go there regularly. So
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard. It's hard to play against Texas Roadhouse. I know the peanut factor is something that everyone, especially those with allergies, should consider. But they had a decline of four percent in their customer satisfaction rating. So you know, what do you make of that?
0: So, I wonder if this was pulled way down by how badly they handled the pandemic. I was never entirely sure if Texas Roadhouse was open, if I could go there to pick things up. Sometimes they would show up on delivery apps, but like, their name wouldn't be capitalized and like, the menu wouldn't be right, and I'm pretty sure that was the delivery apps doing it without their permission. They fell off the board in terms of communicating with customers about what was happening during the pandemic. I also wonder if they're kind of getting value squeezed. So, I put Texas Roadhouse, you know, with Outback in that, in that sort of, like, with Longhorn, in that, like, it's not a fancy steakhouse, but it's still, like, a reasonably decent place to go. You're going to get a a nice piece of prime rib at at Texas Roadhouse at an affordable price. But for not that much more, I can go to Longhorn, which is a much upgraded experience. The food is a higher quality, the environment is a little bit nicer, uh, the restaurants are bigger, so right now they have more tables. Not that Texas Roadhouses are small, they're not, they're generally pretty large restaurants, too. I think this might be a case of, again, where people, there they're maybe not going to Morton's and Ruth Chris as much because they have slimmed-down menus, and they're saying, you know what, it's a fancy, you know, my first date night with my significant other in a few months, I'll go to Longhorn. That feels like a, a bit of an indulgence. It feels nicer than going to Texas Roadhouse. I don't think anything markedly changed about the Texas Roadhouse uh, clientele. So, I wouldn't Frankly, I would dismiss a lot of this report as an anomaly and not a long-term trend. I think we're seeing some struggles and that there will be some restaurants that don't adapt. Look, Texas Roadhouse may not figure out digital and delivery. If they don't figure those things out, they're going to lose customers, they're going to lose satisfaction. Uh, That's something that that Longhorn, that 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 company has done, uh, Darden, has done generally very well, and they have multiple brands that can learn from each other. The reality is, though, all Texas Roadhouse has to do is place a delivery order from Longhorn, and then they can figure it out and probably get there.
1: <laughs> so, looking at the full-service report, was there anything else that stood out to you in these rankings?
0: Um, Not really. It's really the companies at the bottom, Ruby Tuesday, Red Robin, Chili's, they all got weaker. These are companies that, sort of, built their business on having massive menus and very good value. They've had to pare back those menus, they've had to pare back some of the 2 for $10 offers because they just didn't make a lot of sense for delivery. I'm not sure that you know there was an audience who wanted cheeseburgers during this, and I don't know that Red Robin was on their list. Uh, I actually think Ruby Tuesday and Chili's have reasonably decent food, but I think they get lost in the shuffle of trying to be these everything-to-everyone restaurants. I'll put Applebee's in, in a slightly lower version of that category. So, it doesn't shock me, but these all fell, and I think that's a sign that those brands are really going to struggle long-term. I'm not sure who the clientele for Chili's is.
1: And, and I really saved the best for last year, which is the the take that this report has on limited or quick service restaurants. Um, you know, this is the segment that is sadly enough really responsible for most of my eating out budget. <laughs> <laughs> so, while performance here wasn't as poor in terms of a total drop in comparison to the full service restaurants, satisfaction still fell 1.3%, which ranks to a 78 out of 100. It's not a great sign. So, you know, when you look at this report, you know, I'd venture to say that the average American who is listening to this podcast right now would be able to guess which limited service restaurant ranked at the top.
0: And especially our listeners, because they're, of course, all above average. Uh, so I'm sure they're going to get it. Emily, can I give it away? <laughs> you can is give that, it away. Uh, Go for it. It's Chick fil A. And I will point out that on these surveys, you're answering questions about restaurants you frequent. So Chick-fil-A is not hurt by the customer for whatever political reason is deciding I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A's that's a pretty, you know, public stands that some people don't agree with. They're not really being hurt on this survey for that, or even just the person who's angry that they're closed on Sunday and doesn't know why. That person probably didn't go to Chick-fil-A, so they're probably not dragging down the rating. I'm not sure I understand this one. I I don't get the Chick-fil-A. It's fine. The food's fine. It's a really limited menu. That, to me, seems like more of a negative than than people make it out to be, but this is clearly a brand that has an audience and serves it incredibly well.
1: Yeah. There are so many things that we disagree about. This is going to rank up there with one of these. (laughs) I mean, Chick-fil-A to me, politics aside, because obviously that's a, a debate within itself, just looking at the business, you know, the people who work there are always so friendly. And that chicken sandwich, Dan, that chicken sandwich is to die for. And we're filming this or taping this, I should say, right around lunchtime here on the East Coast, so maybe I'm just especially hungry. But to me, the service and the experience, the value for the food, especially at Chick-fil-A, is so much greater than that that you get at, say, a McDonald's.
0: And I would fully agree with that. Um, the food quality is better. I don't know how it compares to, say, the new like Popeye's chicken sandwich, and places are certainly amping up the premium chicken sandwich. They've built their business on it. Look, their, um, their grilled chicken nuggets don't taste right, Uh, they're they're strange. And I actually talked about it with one of their executives, and he said, I was on a cruise, weirdly, with with one of their executives, uh, because he was pre-cruising before they took a company-wide cruise where there was no alcohol allowed. So, he was having a fun, uh, for him, very drunken cruise. I won't say what he does to not call him out there. But he actually told me that they struggled to keep those moist, and that's why it had uh, sort of a chemically taste to it. They've done the chicken sandwich well. They've done the chicken nugget reasonably well, but that's all they do. That, to me, makes it, it wow. They must have a very devoted audience of chicken sandwich fans, and I guess they do. But it is no surprise that they came in well. And frankly, they're not doubling down on delivery and pickup. They're obviously, they have drive throughs, uh, but they haven't gone aggressively into other markets. I think their customers are still just driving to them.
1: Yeah, and I always feel bad. This is an investing podcast and Chick-fil-A obviously isn't a publicly traded company, but there's no way to not touch on just how successful they've been in the quick service segment. But there are also a number of restaurants in this report that increased in ranking that are publicly traded. Um, a lot of them are my personal favorite, both as a customer and an investor. That includes Yum! Brands KFC, Dunkin' Brands and McDonald's uh, which still is pretty low but it increased they all increased in overall satisfaction. Uh, Domino's even held its place as the best rated pizza chain. So what limited service restaurants are on your your top favorite list here?
0: So, all of those chains are well-rated because they execute incredibly well. Uh, you know, Chipotle is the one that that has really, over the past few years, figured it out. Chipotle used to service uh, digital orders and takeout orders from the same line you're making your food, meaning someone had to navigate around the person making the in-store customer to put together orders, it was very unwieldy, it slowed down both processes. They now have a make line in the back of the store. So, they can service digital orders, pickup orders, totally separately. That's really smart. And that's why they're at the top of this. But if you look at your Dunkin', your KFC, your McDonald's, what they've spent money on is making sure they can get you your order. I'm a little surprised KFC's on this list, because they haven't done as much of that. But Dunkin' basically said, what does Starbucks do in its app? Let's copy that. They ranked, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit higher than Starbucks because they have a higher perceived value. I would actually argue that you can get a regular coffee at Starbucks, people just choose not to. There isn't really a, as big a price point differentiator as you tend to think there are. If you want a cappuccino at uh Dunkin' Donuts, and don't do that. But if you want a cappuccino at Dunkin' Donuts, it's not that much cheaper, if cheaper at all, than Starbucks, but there's absolutely a perception of value, because your average person is probably ordering an iced coffee or a, a regular coffee, whereas at Starbucks, they're not doing that. McDonald's has made it incredibly easy to get what you want, where you want. Uh, you don't even have to wait in a drive-thru anymore, you can go pick up in a In a specific parking space, and they'll bring it to you for people who don't want to reach up, that want to just have someone hand it to them sideways. I don't see what the benefit is there. But those companies, and I think as you look at investing in these spaces, you really want to focus on brands that are putting money into making sure things are convenient uh, and doing it right and adjusting. One of the brands on here is Panera Bread. And Panera Bread, when not a publicly traded company, and they used to be. When they launched Panera 2.0, it was a mess. You could deliver on their app, you were never sure where to go to pick it up. They might have a dedicated counter, but they didn't tell you where it was. Now, they have essentially a bookshelf that's alphabetical, and they make it really, really easy to get what you need. They learned from the process. Starbucks is constantly evolving and learning. Some Starbucks, you go in and there's a separate pickup area for mobile orders, some have a variation of that bookshelf, some are calling them out as they happen and repeatedly doing it, they're figuring out what works in each market. And some of that is managing customer flow. You don't want the person who ordered from the app and the person who ordered in the store to be all clustered in the same space. Right now, especially, you don't want that. That is a terrible idea. Uh, So, they're figuring this out. McDonald's is learning, Uh, we talked a little bit on the, the previous hour, that they've slimmed down their menu due to convenience of operation during the pandemic. And they have decided that they may keep it slimlined. They may never bring back salads. They may never uh, put all-day breakfast back in the menu. And that's not about that people didn't like all-day breakfast. It's that what they gain in efficiency and being able to get orders out by having that limited menu, uh, they feel is more valuable than being able to sell you a McGriddle 24 hours a day.
1: Yeah, if you hear me chuckling back here, I apologize. Um, our man behind the glass, Austin Morgan, just shot me a message and said, thank you for calling Dan on Chick-fil-A, how dare he? <laughs> so, obviously uh, …
0: Our, our Slack has gone, actually, pretty exciting with people saying, how dare he? Um, <laughs> Folks, you can have a favorite restaurant. Um, I would actually prefer, and I'm totally forgetting a na- the name of it. the uh, The Korean wing place that we often order from at Full.com. Uh, that is, uh, in my opinion, and I can't believe. Bonchon, which is a slowly expanding chain. There's actually one where I used to live in Connecticut. They haven't come to Florida. I will take Bonchon wings over anything at Chick Fil A a hundred times over. The Korean fried chicken is absolutely fabulous. You can send me uh, complaints at decline at foolcontractors. That is d k l i n e at foolcontractors or tell me I'm wrong, at Worst Ideas on Twitter.
1: I'm sure we'll be getting a lot of messages. and I I want to talk a little bit about McDonald's, because you highlighted it as a company that's making a ton of changes in light of the recent events, but it's still ranked, if memory serves, at the very bottom of the list in terms of customer satisfaction. To use an anecdotal story here, I have a sister who lives in Singapore but travels a lot for work, at least pre-pandemic, but she is a coffee aficionado. And traveling across the world, her challenge has always been to get good coffee. and One of the tips that she shared with me is that if you're in a pinch, McDonald's McCafe coffee is not bad. And I I gave it a try, actually, for the first time last week, and I was pleasantly surprised by the offerings in McDonald's McCafe section, as well as how pleasant the ordering experience was. I I went through the drive-thru myself. I don't eat a lot of fast food, but I was a little surprised after having that pleasant experience and hearing some positive things that McDonald's still pulled up the tail end of this report, do you think McDonald's improves long-term?
0: So, I think there's a shame factor about eating at McDonald's. I I am not sure the customer service, uh, until they fully automate everything, I think, look, the average person, and if you work at McDonald's, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying that for most people who work there, that's probably not a career. Whereas, Chipotle, actually, almost all of its managers worked their way up the chain. Because McDonald's are franchise-owned, not company-owned, not all of them, but a lot of them are, it's a little bit difficult. You might have a franchisee that has a general manager who's been in place for 20 years, and there's no easy way for you to move up into that career non-job position. I think a lot of the workers at McDonald's are, you know, going to turn over pretty quickly, they're not going to be there. That's going to hurt your experience. But I also think, McDonald's simply doesn't have that brand cachet. Look, ordering via kiosk, ordering via app should improve customer satisfaction, because you're getting exactly what you want. If you want half pickles, double ketchup, you can do that in an app in a way that might confuse a human. You can order a bacon cheeseburger, hold the bacon, and pay extra to get a cheeseburger if you want to do that in the app. I don't know why you would, but you could. Those are things that should... Increase their ranking, they haven't. The fact that McDonald's has been a pioneer in delivery in the fast-food space, I know that's a weird thing to say when Domino's has been delivering forever, but you weren't seeing fast-food burger chains deliver. And McDonald's basically said, we know our food has a shelf-life of 30 seconds, customers don't seem to care, uh, we will bring it to them and they could eat old Big Macs. Um, and by old, I mean if it's 15 minutes to get to you, I feel like that's not an edible Big Mac anymore. But that said, it's worked check sizes are higher. If people are spending more money, it would seem to me that they're more satisfied, but I just think McDonald's being what it is, somewhat makes this survey less than relevant for them. They don't want to see big drops, but I think they're always going to be ranked towards the bottom, just because of, sort of, perceived uh, value and perceive you know how people see that brand.
1: And before we sign off, I kind of want to get your thoughts at a high level here. Um, How, if at all, do you use the ACSI report and these rankings when looking at restaurants in terms of making investment decisions?
0: So normally if a company had a big drop I would really investigate that so if I was looking and boy you know that, that Texas Roadhouse drop, I would normally say did something change in management or did they make a change to the menu where their uh, you know their steak sizes used to be 16 ounce 12 ounce and eight ounce and now it's eight ounce six ounce and four ounce and they're the same price I would really look at it to see if they'd, they'd somehow wronged their customers? I am not as concerned about this year's report because we're just in a weird time. There might be people upset because they ordered from Texas Roadhouse and they didn't put in the peanuts, uh, you know, and they expected to get that. Or maybe they wanted silverware because they're, they're, having a picnic, and they didn't check the box off on Grubhub, so they didn't get it. I think there's a lot of factors that might be hurting some of these businesses that really aren't the business's fault at the moment. So, normally, this is a report where I would really look for big ups and downs, and if I saw a big improvement, I'd go, oh, wait, yeah, they have a new uh, chief uh, brand officer, and he's really making a difference, or their CEO is, is a new person, and she's really changing how they operate. Right now, I would watch how these companies are reacting and how quickly they can adapt to the current normal. But I'm not overly concerned on, geez, were you well-prepared for a pandemic? I don't think any of us were well-prepared for a pandemic.
1: Well, if my waistline says anything, I was definitely not well-prepared for the pandemic. (laughs)
0: And, <laughs> absolutely nothing I could comment on there. <laughs> but I but I would say, I, I do think a year from now, we're going to know a lot about how these restaurants operate. And I think you might see some of these brands that were already in trouble not exist. I'm not so sure there's a need for Applebee's. Uh, I'm not so sure Red Robin comes through this. Uh, uh, BJ's, a restaurant I like very much, which I like less due to their slimmed-down menu. Uh, I think that's going to be tricky for some of these brands to find who their customers are in a world where people might eat out a little less, they might be willing to spend less money, and they might be a little bit aware of how much delivery services are costing them, and that might cause them to order you know, from companies that are baking that into the cost, like a Domino's.
1: This will be a really interesting follow-up report when the ACSI releases their 2020-2021 report a year from now. It'll be really interesting to take a second look and see how these trends have changed in a post-pandemic world. But in the meantime, Dan, thank you so much for taking the last 30 or so minutes of your time to join me for this segment.
0: Thank you for, thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hi, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you also want to send Dan emails and tell him how wrong he is at (laughs) 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 Chick-fil-A, he shared his email and Twitter handle earlier. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the screen today. For Dan Klein, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on.